Hello, I'm Nick White. I'm the knowledge lawyer for the pensions team here at Travis Smith. Welcome to our podcast summary of the latest issue of what's happening in pensions or WIP. This is our regular update on pensions legal developments. This time I'm joined by pensions senior counsel Chris Widdison to give you a brief outline of some key recent developments. There's much more detail in the briefing itself. You can find it on our website if you're not already there. Just Google Trevor Smith Pensions. We've seen a lot of output from the pensions regulator in the last few weeks. To start with the big but not unexpected news, TPR's latest corporate plan confirms that the new funding code of practice and regulations are now not expected to take effect until April next year, rather than this October. There's also an update on progress with the forthcoming general code of practice, which we used to refer to as the single code. It's now coming sooner than the funding code and is expected next month. You may remember that there'll be new content in this requiring schemes to conduct own risk assessments. And we hear again about the regulator considering the feasibility of requiring schemes to have a professional trustee. There's some option analysis coming in due course on that subject. The 2023 annual funding statement takes the now well-established approach of expecting trustees to have set a long-term objective and to be implementing funding and investment strategies consistent with that target. What's interesting in this year's statement is how the regulator applies this approach in the context of the significant market changes which we've seen over the last 12 months, with the regulator suggesting that the funding positions of many schemes are ahead of the trustees' own expectations, and some will now unexpectedly need to consider whether to implement their objective, for example, if they've exceeded buyout funding levels, or to examine other endgame options and revise their objectives. In relation to rethinking strategies based on the scheme's funding position, the regulator sets out three different groups of schemes. Yes, the first is where the funding level is at or above buyout, where there might be some interesting strategies around how to lock in or protect funding gains and the use of surplus. The second is where the funding level is above technical provisions, but below buyout. And the final group is where the funding level is below technical provisions, with the regulator noting that those schemes whose funding position has regressed over the past year have some quite different thinking to do. There's also been TPR guidance published on LDI, Liability Driven Investment. This is a more substantial document to replace last autumn's initial statement and guidance. Here, the regulator has implemented the Bank of England's recommendation for a resilience buffer of 250 basis points and also has expectations of trustees around resilience testing and robust governance arrangements. And last but not least, there is new EDI guidance with separate guides for trustees and for employers, which colleagues here at Travis Smith helped the regulator with. Regarding the abolition of the lifetime allowance tax charge, but not yet the lifetime allowance itself, HMRC has been putting out newsletters and web pages addressing the implications. There's some useful explanation with examples of how enhanced protection and fixed protection will will now work in various situations. There's also a section on the taxation of lump sums where there's a lifetime allowance excess. For lump sum death benefits, HMRC originally announced that schemes are now required to deduct the marginal rate tax charge, but they quickly backtracked on that when the problems and delays it would cause were pointed out. So all's well that ends well, but we don't know yet what will happen from 2024 when the lifetime allowance goes altogether. The regulations around illiquid investment by DC schemes are now in place. These allow schemes to leave performance-based fees out of their default arrangement charge cap calculations, so long as the fee arrangements meet specified criteria. But they'll have to mention this in their next annual chair statement and publish information on a website. 
The regulations also require GC schemes to disclose and explain their policy on investment in illiquid assets in their default SIP when they next amend it after the 1st of October 2023 or by the 1st of October 2024 at the latest. And they also require GC schemes to disclose their default fund asset allocations, the percentage splits between eight prescribed asset classes in the annual chairs statement and on a website. Among the other news we cover in this month's WIP, the PLSA has published its stewardship and voting guidelines for 2023. The government has put off the tricky question of whether or not to bring forward state pension age increases or even postpone them in the light of worsening longevity expectations until after the next general election. And the UK EMEA clearing exemption for certain pension scheme derivative transactions has been extended for another two years. If you'd like any more information on anything in WIP, please get in touch with your usual Trevor Smith contact, or you can email pensions at trevorsmith.com. You can sign up on our website to be sent email alerts when we publish new briefings. And for more commentary, do please follow Trevor Smith Pensions on LinkedIn. Thanks very much for listening.